I enjoy life and growth. My tribe is those like you who are constantly improving. The people who listen to this podcast are the people in life who want to do better and be better. If you are this type of person, I recommend you visit leaderbits.io, which is a company that I started that is dedicated to helping you grow as a technology leader. The best part is if you want to improve, we will have your company pay for it for you. So just reach out and we'll take care of the rest leaderbits.io. Today we are talking to Mitch Van Dyne, the founder and CTO of CatPrint, and we discuss creating community environment at work, bringing up developers within your company, and Mitch's claim to fame with a contribution to modern computing. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. He was asking if we if you 3D printed cats, right? <laughs> no, no, we can't figure out 3D printing yet because we don't know how we would get the jobs because people don't have the technology to create the 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 artwork to print. Well, I thought you guys could just say that you 3D print cats and then you would just go put out a food bowl somewhere and <laughs> just find the cat that looks closest to the one they wanted and just nice. ship that cat. Nice. <laughs> Well, we have. I mean, we we have uh, cats in the in the customer service offices. Uh, the customer service manager is very involved in animal rescue, and so we almost always have one or two rescue cats who are waiting for a permanent home, hanging around in customer service. They really wouldn't do well in the factory floor, but they they hang around over there. So we have a kind of a wall of all these cats that we've taken care of, and the customers really love that. You know, they we we advertise it on, and we actually you know, invite people to make donations towards the animal rescue shelter and stuff. So people get into that a lot. Oh, nice. My wife has been a vet tech for about a decade. So she's always around the animals and we have three dogs, but we don't have any cats. Uh, well, there, it's interesting. I mean, we had, we had uh, four cats when we, when we started the business, we started in our basement and they, they, they got into things, you know, they were running around and, and now we're down to zero cats. And uh, we had a cat for a short while, and we discovered that we were kind of allergic to them, you know, very mildly, but we just sort of, until we're so old that we can't have a dog, we'll probably just keep dogs instead of cats for now. That's exactly why I don't have a cat. And well, it's, it's one of those things where I'm, I'm very allergic to the cats, right? So, and then some dogs, but not all dogs. So what happens is you can't get close to something or really experience it if you can't be around it because it causes you pain. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Exactly. So it's like I never, I've never bonded with a cat because I can't get close to cats. I just have to stay away from them. Right. Right. So it'd be tough. And we have to ask that when we interview, you know, that our people, cause we have uh, our, our dogs and employees, dogs come to, come to work. And, and so, you know, an interview question is, you know, are you, are you violently allergic to animals? Cause if you are, you're probably going to be tough working here. That's not something your insurance covers. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> now, now Amazon has like the whole dogs of Amazon. And then do you put that on your website too? Like here are the cats of, you know, cat print. Yeah. The, so we really, so the cats, you know, because they come and go, they, they are, um, uh, you know, we'll, we'll like show here's our newest, it, not so much on the website, but on the social media, you know, like on the Instagram and, and uh, Facebook feeds, 
will you know celebrate the cat uh getting a getting their their uh, forever home as it's called so the cats that kind of how they work and the dogs though they are sort of employees you know so, sometimes i don't know we're redoing the employee profile pages but i'm sure when we get done redoing there'll be a you know we'll treat each of the dogs as an employee and have them on there and uh <laughs> so yeah that's to, exciting we try to have fun with it well that's what it's i mean that's the human element and that's what makes the work worth doing is getting to explore that human part of it too yeah we were just talking um we just had our our annual uh uh you know information share with the uh with the entire cast and and uh afterwards uh the three partners my my wife and uh the cfo john and i were talking about it and the thing is in in today's world you're at work eight plus hours a day and it's your community um, right. and it's for a lot of people, they don't have big families anymore, you know, and they don't have, you don't get community from your family. You're at work. So work should be a place where, where you can make friends and you do feel comfortable and you feel like it's a community. So we try hard to do that and encourage that. And I think it works. I think people are, are happy. Um, how big is your community currently? 20, 28, I think 28 employees, 29. I think we just talked 28. Mm-hmm. So about 20 to 29 cat printers. Yep. Is that exactly. what you guys call each other? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's so exciting. And then is your site actually written in your Hyperloop that you made? It is, um, but, but quite an old version. Um, so, you know, Hyperloop is a, is the, is a, a moving target. We're trying to get 1.0 out the Hyperloop team and uh, getting pretty close to that. But, you know, cat print is is like on a real, like probably two year old iteration of it, and so we have a staging area where we're integrating, you know, all the latest changes. The trouble is, there's been a lot of deprecations, and so had to get through all those breakages and fix stuff. But I think probably within a within a month, it'll be full hyperloop. Nice. Yeah. Was that Elon Musk inspired naming? Uh, yes, it was. It was definitely. Yeah. I mean, you can. I think you see, see the kind of the fun pun there, but it's like the rails of the 21st century. I love it. I thought it was really interesting when I was going through it. It kind of like stretched my mind quite a bit. Yeah, that's one of the harder things that we've had about getting people to understand is it in a sense is so simple. But if you say, well, how does that actually work? It kind of is mind blowing. And then so people get confused and they think, well, that couldn't possibly work that way. And so people on the chat area will be <laughs> having these elaborate hunks of code. And, and it's like, no, you just write this one line. And they're like, how, right. does, that even, how does that even happen? <laughs> so, you're like, Matt, you're like magic. <laughs> that's your answer. Yeah, well, it is some, and that's the kind of the magic, you know, back in, you know, 90, whatever it was, 93 or four, when, you know, that was the magic of rails, right? Right. Um, so it's kind of, that's, that's our hope is that we can uh, take that to the next quantum level. That's a really good point you just brought up. Like, at first, when you started using rails, it was like magic. You're like, whoa. And that was the same thing when I saw Hyperloop. I was like, that's unbelievable. How is that happening? And it, t- it takes a while to get a collection of people to become used to something, to get comfortable with it. Right. And then the other problem we have is that, you know, we're, we're in a sense competing. I don't, competing is not quite the right word, but 
if you if you didn't use Hyperloop, what would you do? Well, you you probably use React and JavaScript and that whole thing, right? And mm-hmm. and if you look at that world, I am constantly amazed by what people put up with in terms of difficulty. You know, just the amount of boilerplate code you have to do. And um, I have a I'm mentoring a, a young man who's um, you know wants to be a, a software developer and he's going through uh, some boot camps and stuff. I meet with him once a week and go over any any questions he has and I look at this this coursework in JavaScript and going you know I just I just bite my tongue and I help him through it but I'm like that's got to be the hardest thing in the world to do just to just to like say hello world I'm like generating all this code and all this crap to put this thing together so we kind of compete with that because the expectation is well I'm going to have to do all that stuff and you don't know you actually just you just add this gem to your rails app <laughs> and yeah. start writing code and they're going yeah but where does this go where, where does this thing go we well, don't need that thing anymore where's my controller well wh- what does a controller really do for you you know let's you know you don't there's no functional the customer isn't paying you for a controller you know they they want to pay for you to have this button place an order so let's get all the other stuff that doesn't help you with that process out of the way so yeah that's that's like I encourage everybody to go check it out. It's Ruby Hyperloop, right? Yeah, Ruby Ruby-Hyperloop.org. Yeah. Yeah. I it it was unbelievably interesting. And it had a lot of resources around it too, which is always like extraordinarily useful. Yeah. We've got a I, I think I mentioned there's a guy, Barry Hadfield, um, who is a he's a real CTO. I'm sort of I'm I'm more I was talking about doing this podcast with you guys and I, you know, my, the CFO said, well, yeah, you're not really the CTO. You're like the principal scientist of CatPrint, <laughs> which is <laughs> closer to the truth of it. Um, you know, I have nine patents and, and that's kind of my gig, but uh, there's a guy, Barry Hadfield, and he's a real CTO and, and uh, of a, you know, and he's much more successful than I am. I think, I don't know, he's on his third or fourth iteration of companies and they're, you know, do very well. And he is, he's betting his next business on hyperloop he's doing developing it all in hyperloop and um he's responsible for the name actually he's we were kicking this around a couple of years ago and he says well how about hyperloop what's his project now uh well i think you should talk to him about that i yeah you know, I'm not, what, I'm, what's I'm, what I'm, world is it and is it in the cat world or the camel I, world or <laughs> i think it's to do with uh non-profit enablement i mean his yeah his previous pro- project was, or the one, he's still like the CTO of this thing, of this firm that they're, they're trying to, uh, you know, whatever you do, sell it or whatever you do, when you, whatever you call that. Exit. Uh, yeah. Exit. Exit. That's the word I was looking for. He's, they're trying to, you know, they're getting ready to exit. And that, that has to do, it's, I think it's like a Google Docs, uh, sort of an uh, enterprise Google Docs type uh, system. But I, I had spoken to him and he'd be, he'd love to talk to you guys. And I think you'd get a real Oh, yeah. Story. You get a real CTO out of that, so. I consider you a real CTO, by the way. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, mean, I, I uh, you know, all that, all that internet plumbing and stuff like that. I just call it, you know, it's just plumbing. Just call the plumbers and fix this thing, you know. Yeah, I love this perspective. I love I when I run into people that have unique, different perspectives. It's definitely a treat talking with you. <laughs> now, now, now I will say one of the reasons I can say that, and I guess this is sort of a CTO decision, right? Um, right. Is I made a commitment back uh, when we were quite a bit smaller, but probably uh, probably goes back seven years ago, 
And I said, we will never, ever have another server in my business. Everything is on the cloud. Um, nice. And that was before the cloud was really like it is now. Because um, we had bought the server and it paid like $10,000, which was, at that time was a big purchase for us. And, it, you know, it just never did us a bit of good. It was just a nightmare. And the whole thing, I said, never, ever again. It's all on. And so everything we do is online. Uh, you know, accounting, we use QuickBooks, uh, uh, HR, we use uh, Bamboo. And, you know, the, of course, the Rails app is, you know, it's on, it's, it's served off the cloud. And, um, but even when it comes down to machinery and production, that, there, you know, obviously there's some machinery that's touching like motors and stuff. And it, so it has to have a PC. But what we do is we download, um, we deploy off the cloud and download into a uh, Electron app. So it's also written in, in Hyperloop. Um, so we download into an Electron app and then that then can touch you know, motors and servos and USB ports and stuff like that. And how many developers do you currently have on your team? Well, we're up to five, not including me. That, that's a pretty rapid, this is like we went from two to five in, the, in just a couple of months here. So it's kind of a new for us. It's exciting though. And they're all helping progress Hyperloop too, right? Yeah, exactly. And exactly. And two, two of those five are cat coders. They're apprentices. So two of them had uh, no development experience, and one of them came from production. Oh, both of them came from production. One has a high school education, but you know was interested in being a developer. And we have a policy that if you want to learn to be a developer, you can take some tests and do some work on your own. And if it looks like you're good, we'll put you on half time, train you, and after about uh, six months to a year, bring you in full time as a developer. That's awesome. You have a little recruiting pipeline right in your business. Yeah, and it's good for them. You know, you, you take people that, that uh, you know, have the talent and you give them an opportunity. It's going to be a much more interesting job for them. Um, they know the business. You know, like both those guys, you know, they know how production works. So when we need a new feature that's going to help the production floor, they, they know what it means. You know, they know what it's about. Ooh, that's more, more businesses should deploy a program like that. It's pretty easy and it, it's predictable. It works. It works. Yeah, you have to work it, but it works. And, and, now we, and we recently just hired three college grads that uh, just graduated. And uh, well, one guy, one guy actually finished his degree while working here, but he was well on the way. That was a funny thing because he, he, he still had a couple of classes to take. So the last class he had to take was on web development. So he's sitting here writing in Hyperloop, right? And he's going back to school at night and they're teaching them PHP and HTML. <laughs> so it's the most frustrating, you know, it's the most frustrating 13 weeks of his life. <laughs> so. Well, the good thing is when you get these people fresh or you recruit from within or, you know, I don't know, recruits, like, I don't like the sound of the word when you, when you pull people up from within, right. Yeah. Then you don't have to spend all the time dealing with all their bad habits. <laughs> right. That they picked up from other places. Yeah. You kind of get to teach them fresh. Right. I would be, yes, you're right. I mean, I don't, I, these, these guys that have college degrees, they seem to be working out great, but they're brand new out of college. Um, right. So they haven't gotten any craziness yet. Well, with, with college, I like to say that's an expensive piece of paper that says you could do things you don't necessarily want to do. 
guess. <laughs> right. So if they have that that mentality to go study and pass the test, because and the reason why I say that is this is because no matter what your passion is, right, you have to take classes that don't relate to your passion in order to get the degree. So by definition, everyone who has this degree, in, in my opinion, is they have the ability to make themselves study and learn things that they don't want to learn. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's not a bad trait. Right. That's yeah. true. That's a good point. There's some, yeah, that's a very good point. A lot of people who won't, a lot of people who will not learn something they don't want to learn. And a lot of times those classes that maybe you didn't want to take in the end, you know, I think about, I went, I have a degree in comp sci way back, mm -hmm. way back when, before there were computers. I mean, I, my first programming class was on punch cards. Nice. Did you stand in line to get them run? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You stood in line to run the punch cards, and then you came yeah. back the next day to see if your program ran. Well, I remember hearing a, a book from Martin. I think it was Martin Fowler. I was reading one of his books, and he's talking about how he would write the code, and then they would get on a plane, and they would fly across the United States to go run the test. Right. So when I went to college, one class, though, that I, I think outside of the core you know, comp sci classes and some of that stuff I still, you know, sticks with you. But outside of that, I think every day about the things I learned in the anthropology class, you know, just uh, how people, how human beings organize and behave and, and the commonalities that we have. I think about that all the time. And I wouldn't have taken that class except, you know, you had to take some, you had to take a certain number of electives in the, in the humanities department. So what are your patents in? Like what area are your patents in? They're Almost all in software algorithms. I, I worked at Xerox for many years, um, and oh, cool. uh, you know, and as a now starting as an engineer and then as a as a manager. You know, it's the usual corporate thing. You gotta the only way to really pay the bills is to move up into management and talk about doing what you don't want to do. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's the worst. But uh, you know, just the politics and the. You know, the big company bureaucracy is insane. I think about what we get done here at a small company compared to how big companies work. Um, it's insane. Luckily, I haven't ever actually worked as an employee inside of a big company because I've always done my own thing, right? Because my dad freelance made technology. So I went right there and then started my own technology company, just taking on clients. But when I got, when I had to work with the large clients, like I remember when I got one of my first fortune 500 clients, I was just like floored by the amount of money they spend and how slow they move. It's amazing. Unbelievable. I was like, you guys realize we could just make a decision and do it. <laughs> we can just do it. We could just say, let's try these two things and do, do them like real quick and see which one works better. <laughs> right. Like, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like Hyperloop, the the name was uh, we kind of you know there was all these gems that were kind of coalescing together. You know, and they had names like uh, Reactive Record, which is actually pretty cute. You know, that's was, cool. Yeah, yeah, and Reactive Record, and then there was React RB, and there was you know so, I don't know what else, but it just we needed a we needed a, a single name, and we were just kind of kicking it around. And Barry suggested on the chat Hyperloop, and a couple of people said, that's cool, you know, and then people said, you know, there's this pun to it, it works, it just works really well. Um, it also works well architecturally, because, you know, what you're constantly doing is using uh, push from the server, you're basically closing the loop, so you're constantly looping the data between the server and the clients. 
So it just works on any number of levels. And so, you know, I went on, I got the domain name and I said, okay, names changed. We're going to call it. And I went in and, you know, took all the gems and renamed them and redeployed them. It's like very, that was the fastest name change I ever saw. Well, that's what you could do. That's what you can do when you're small, right? So, right. You got, you got to find and replace. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, so I have, a, I have a, I'm really interested in, in this thing that you're doing about bringing up your developers within. I have a couple questions about that. Are you noticing when you're bringing these people up, do you have any issues with like spaghetti code or indentation or properly naming of functions? Like how do those things come up? How do you handle them? What do you, what are you noticing in those areas with, with these people that don't have experience and you're pulling them up inside your company? Yeah, there's two different levels of that question, right? There's two different levels of that problem. The base level is super easy fixed by RubuCop, right? Mm -hmm. So RubuCop solves that. You just say you don't check in code that doesn't follow, you know, the RubuCop standard. And then, and then what's what's it called on the when you run it in the CI server? It's basically, yeah. it's, it's all the RubuCop rules up there and then it gives you a grade. So, right. so you don't check in code that, that doesn't get an A. So that takes care of all the, you know, the sort of the lower level syntactic issues around that, right? And then you get into the, the and the and this is the hardest thing to teach anybody is how do you teach good architecture? I mean, that's a lifelong, you know, that's a, I, I, I still look, I'm constantly refactoring chunks of Hyperloop because I go, what was I even thinking when I wrote that code? It's like, it, right. I, I mean, how much beer did I actually have when I wrote that code? It's like, <laughs> it's insane. So you, you constantly, and sometimes I think that's really, the, that's the only, there is no good architecture. There's just a willingness to refactor your code. And there is a, if you rely on test specs, if you say, look, what I'm really going to do is I'm not, I'm not like a, test-driven development Nazi, like I wouldn't insist right, you got to write the test spec first, but I would say you, you know, uh, you, you got to write the test spec somewhere in the process. And if you've got the specs to go with the, the code and you feel really like you got solid specs, then you have the freedom to at any time say, all right, I, I'm spending too much time in this module. It's too hard to make changes here. This needs to be redone. And if you've got a good, healthy set of specs, then you can say, okay, I can take the risk of refactoring this stuff. And when you do that, then you learn and evolve. And then I think in your own learning, you say, yeah, that was a better way to do it. But you're con you got to constantly, I just don't, that's the only way I can think about software architecture. It's not like, like building architecture, you're constrained by these laws of physics to, to what's going to work and what's not going to work. But in software, we're so flexible and open there's so many new ideas that come along you know and um well it's a story i mean any you can go back and rewrite your story a million times tell it slightly different anyone can have a different perspective of it and inject stuff different places it's it's all it's so tough like to to put uh concrete items in place to right. say this is how it's done like rubicop is a great answer yeah well, I mean, to me, that's just a joy to to like not have to worry about to have something else just saying. You just type, Adam just says red flag, and you go, "What's that?" And then it, you learn things. I learn Ruby from Ruby Cop because it'll be like saying, "Don't do this," and you go, "Well, how do you want me to do it?" And then you look, you know, you look the little link in it, and you Google it a bit, and you go, "Oh wow, I didn't know there was this operator," you know, and right. Uh, so it's a it, I. But to me, the, the interacting with that whole whole thing, 
especially for my life, you know, um, to, to have started on punch cards and to have actually taken classes where you would talk about, well, this is the algorithm that we could use to like graphically display stuff if we ever had a processor fast enough to display it. Right. And this right. is how, this is how you could actually have a dynamic compiler and a dynamic language and stuff. If we ever have a computer that, that, that has enough processing power to do that type of, of dynamic type checking and stuff. And, and then to, to kind of go through it and to be then in a world where all that stuff not only exists, but then people are writing it as a community. And, you know, here's Adam, the world's best editor. I mean, I'm not saying it is, it is the world's best, but it's a beautiful editor, right? Um, compared, it's the one to, I use currently. Compared, to, compared to what I was using 30 years ago, right? <laughs> it's free and, and people are contributing it for, for to help each other. And, you know, they're growing their own business with it. And it's just exciting. It's just, it's just a beautiful thing. Um, Thank you, Chris, right? Chris Warnsworth. He's like awesome. <laughs> and it's, yeah, that whole thing. And then Rubicop's the same way. Well, why do we have it? Right. And uh, that's, that's my biggest hope with Hyperloop is I just, I, I would love to give back in some way and just say, thank you. Cause I, I couldn't, I couldn't have this business without rails and with, I suppose there might be something else an alternative, but I couldn't have this business without all the open source software that it depends on. You ever write out to DHH or freed or any no, of those people? No, I, 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 maybe I should. Do you think I should? I don't know. Well, what we I know him. Yeah. Like we had Ryan Singer. It's a Ryan and DHH and Jason are the three people that run Basecamp, and he was on the yeah. show. I mean, I could, I could, I could send him a note and say, "Hey, send him an email." They, they're like totally cool people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, all we see, uh, you know, we see his tweets once in a while, and and sometimes, uh, you know, whatever. They're people, man. They like, they like a good line dropped on them, right? Like, thanks, man. He'd be like, "No problem, you're awesome." You know? All right. Well, I should do it. I should do that. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. That's a good, uh, <laughs> a good suggestion. Now, do other languages have uh, Rubicop the way Ruby does? Well, it wouldn't be called Rubicop, right? It'd be called yeah. Well, yeah, but it'd be called you know, uh, uh, choke your choke your. I won't say that. I was about to say something. You had to take off the air. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what would what would the Python equivalent of Rubicop be? Um, I don't know. You could you could have a lot of fun with that and uh, right and uh, go. Uh, I guess I guess Go could be stoplight, you know. Oh man, this is so what what a boring name. I just googled it real quick. I like first of all, Go Stoplight is not what I was saying boring name to. That's awesome. No, no, I like that. But this what uh Python has a package called Code Validator 0.8.2. Come on. Where's the branding on that? <laughs> it's to me that's an amazing thing about, you know, Python and Ruby because they are at some level very similar, right? And yeah. very similar causes and and why they exist in the world. But then if you take the differences in the language and map those to the difference in the personalities of the guys behind them, right? It, it, it maps perfectly. Culture, just, yeah. Just look at, if you look at the Wikipedia articles on, you know, maths versus uh, the Python guy is um, uh, Guido. But, but when you read it, like, you know, and you, you just read what the guy writes, right? He's a, he's a, I'm sure he's a great guy. But the philosophy is very reflected in the language. Guido advertises himself as the benign dictator of the Python language, right? 
<laughs> he's Dutch too. Right. That's hilarious, man. He's the benedict. Well, that's fine. A lot of people say, well, yeah, you have to have somebody to make the final decision, right? You got to have some. Otherwise, things that a lot of people would would share that philosophy. And, and then you read Mots, right? What's Mots all about? Well, programming should be happy. It should be friendly. I want to maximize programmer joy, right? Right. <laughs> So, you know, these attitudes get reflected in the, in the actual language and there's room for everybody, right? Right. So what's, what are you most excited about right now? Like in life, it doesn't have to be technology. It could be the company, technology, whatever you want, but what are you most excited about? Oh man, that's tough. I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I'm pretty pumped about Hyperloop. I mean, I, you know, I, it's my, it's a, it seems like it's coming along, but that's technology, you know? At my age, you know, it's kind of like hopefully most of the rapids are behind me. <laughs> I'm excited about, you know, I'm in the canoe. We're paddling along, enjoying the scenery a little bit. That's pretty exciting. At any point in time, you can just grab a jet engine, right, off of Amazon and just hold on to that for a minute. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't you know. You can choose. I, I don't know if you, I, I mean, you know, I am a, I'll tell you, I am very excited, you know, getting out of my personal, it's not really my personal life, but I am so excited about, I've always been kind of a space nut. When I was a kid, I wanted to be an aeronautical engineer. And my uncle, uh, who is an electrical engineer, said, nah, he goes, you, you don't want to do that. He goes, you know, you'll just end up, you go to all the school and you'll end up, you'll be doing nothing but designing the left nut on the right wheel of, you know, some <laughs> jet, of some jet plane, right? You know? And he said, you're not going to do what you think you're going to do in that world. Um, he says, you should go into computers, kid. He always called me sheep for reasons we won't go into. He goes, sheep, <laughs> you ought to go into computers. And he took me to a friend of his that had built an 8-bit, you know, one of these things you could punch in the front panel and, and load up a program. And he, he took me and showed me that. And I got, got kind of interested in that. So, um, but I've always been, you know, fascinated with space. I'm an I'm an instrument rated private pilot, and uh, oh, nice. Yeah, and I, I built my first. I, I built a hang glider when I was 15, and my, you know, out of plant, I, I stole a book from a store. Um, it's confession time, but I, I went to a store, and I, you know, they had this book about hang gliding, and I stole the book, um, and then took it home and took it apart and sort of drew, figured out how these things were designed and then my friend and I built this hang glider and we were you know we'd jump off sand dunes and stuff and fly around nice. so I've always been like like planes and aerospace has been a big thing for me so what I'm excited about I'm just every day like I'm seeing what is Elon doing now <laughs> and when those two did you watch the Tesla take off oh yeah we watched we watch our we were launches. We were basically shut, yeah. We were shut down here, right? <laughs> it's yeah. Like, I mean, yep. I don't know. The production was still going, but up here in R and D, we were all just looking at our screens. My my uh, one of my sons works at uh, at the Big G Ranch there in New York City, and um, my other one was a consultant in New York. We were all online chatting each other. When those two things came down, I thought I thought okay, that's a that's a that's a clip somebody made, you know, that's just an art, artist rendering of what it's going to look <laughs> like that they're showing us. Right. I thought, okay, gosh, something bad must've happened because they're just showing us this artist rendering of the, of what it's going to look right. like. And, and, you know, that's very exciting. And uh, I got so excited about it the other day that I went and I, I took the, the size of the, 
planets, the relative size of the planets and the sun and their distances. And I put them in a spreadsheet. And I said to my wife, you know, I want to go down to the science museum. I want to donate a bunch of money to them to put up like a display where the, the sun would be the size of a dinner plate, right? And it could sit uh-huh. on one corner of the museum. And then you could go down East Avenue in our city. And about 1,500 feet later would be the earth. And it would be the size of a grain of rice. And then you could, and then, and then by the time you get a mile away, you'd be at Mars, right? And there's a nice long street in our city, right? And it's a nice walking, it's a nice street to walk on. There's famous houses and museums and stuff. You, you could have these, and by the time you get to Mars, right? Mars is like the grain of sand, right? You know, and then, oh, yeah. you, and the, and the, the distances are just amazing. It's just so vast. And, uh, but yet, you know, this, this guy, Elon, is just turning it all upside down, says, we're going to do it. You know, we're going to do it. And uh, he's off into space. And then there's this thing called the uh, EM drive. Have you ever heard of the EM oh, drive? Oh, come on. Yeah, how can you not? Yeah. Get out so, of here. So, you know, I'm just saying, please let it be true. He's going to make it work. <laughs> it's got to work, right? It's got to work. Cause, cause I that, think we've all poured over schematics of that. <laughs> It just and, and like and I have a I have a godson who's a physics professor at Alf, Alfred University and you know I'm always talking. Says, do, do you think how could this thing work? He goes, I don't know. You know, because I just I'm not going to get too excited about it. Kind of claims to have made one. Yeah, exactly. And now everybody's you know everybody's saying, well, in the Air Force probably ha-, you know there's all these experiments just saying I think this is the Air Force has got a satellite up, but they're just not talking about it. And, My dad was in the Air Force for many years that's actually how he got educated in computer science to then eventually teach me right yeah and they were putting um the b uh the first gps system into the stealth bomber out in air force base in nellis he said it was so cool so what they do is they put them on a plane windows blacked out like 12 passenger plane and then they fly to the middle of the desert and then it's like behind a mountain thing like you know the desert rocks they're like i don't know i'd call them mountains if they had trees on them right yeah but (laughs) the some sort of geographical structure and then they would work in these giant airplane hangars and there's these lines on the ground and you walked from hangar to hangar you lived in one you worked in the other and then you'd go home on the weekend and you really didn't know where you were you're just kind of out in the desert and they put the the gps into the stealth bomber nice yeah you didn't tell me that until i was 18 because that's when it was declassified very cool yeah there's also there's also a really cool irony in that, right? That they're putting these people in a blacked out plane and hiding where they actually are, mm-hmm. while they're working on technology so that everybody can know where they are all the time. Life is beautiful that way. Is this the <laughs> great irony in that, right? Is is right. you are working on technology so that you can precisely point pinpoint where you are in the on the Earth, and we're not going to let you know where you are on the earth while you're working on it. <laughs> I, love, I love it. <laughs> That's beautiful. There's been a question sitting in the back of my mind since you, you talked about patents and Xerox. And I, I believe it was either a Steve Jobs or Bill Gates interview. I was watching one of them several years ago and they said that they went together to some large company and they actually saw like the first GUI interface and then they both went back home and created them. And because the company wasn't really positioned, I was that Xerox. That's Xerox. That that's is Xerox. Xerox. So when I started, yeah, that's Xerox. And there's a book um, called uh, "Fumbling the Future." Yeah, that's a good name for that book. 
it's called it's called fumbling the future how xerox gave away the personal computer really that's a whole book oh great it's yeah it's it's a good book it's a well-written uh, readable book um yeah so when i got to xerox i was a intern um in 1981 uh <laughs> you know and, and that's a whole nother story but um I was the only intern at that time that Xerox had ever had, and they were hiring like crazy, that was married. Because we, my wife and I were married while we were in college. And so, you know, we packed up every belonging we had in the back of this car and drove to Xerox. And, and we got there, and I had said that I was married, but of course they lost the paperwork. So they didn't know what the, where to put us. So they put us up at this executive hotel, which, you know, it would be like, you know, my whole salary for the, for the summer for one night, you know, so I said, we can't stay here. Yeah. <laughs> so I went to work and my wife went down to the university and, and found us a flop house to live in for the summer. Cause we were, anyway, that was a, that was a big adventure, but, um, yeah. So when did you I, work on that project? At so all? I did, well, I'll tell you a little story on that, but when I got to Xerox, I was given on my desk was sitting the Alto, the Xerox Alto, so what, what happened was in at, at PARC, Palo Alto Research Center, um, uh, where a lot of our internet technology and stuff came from, um, at, at PARC back in the 70s, they said, well, here's Moore's Law, right? Moore's yeah. Law says that by 1985, uh, every employer, every medium size and above employer will be able to afford a computer for every one of their office workers. Okay, so that's about that's like in 15 years. So what we need to do now is is build that computer, even though it's going to cost like an amazing amount of money, but we'll build it and we'll issue it to every office worker within like, you know, parts of Xerox and at Park so that we can start to learn how people would use a computer like that in an office environment. So they they built this computer called an, uh, an Alto, which is basically a data general uh code name was eagle i can't data general 10 uh, that's not right but it's eagle it was, sounds cooler it, well eagle was the internal yeah. code name there's actually a great book written about the making of that computer about you know all the technology nonsense that goes on and all the fun stuff while you're trying to build a product uh, it's written back in the 70s i think but um anyway so, so they took this data it's very much like a pdp 10 right and they, they uh, PDP-11, PDP-10, that kind of, that class of mini computer, you know, 64K of memory max, 64K address space. Wicked and, fast. And <laughs> yeah, and they took that thing and they miniaturized it as much as possible, which means that it would fit like, you know, where those old school desk drawers would fit. Mm-hmm. So you could, you could take a desk, rip out the drawers and sit this computer underneath and the disk drive was removable and it was a great big platter. It was about as big around as a as a large tray that you might, you know, for a Super Bowl game have shrimp and stuff on. Mm-hmm. It's about that big around. And uh, you would have racks of these above your desk. So you'd pop in the the disc and I think it had like a megabyte of uh, of uh, data on the on the disc. And the screen was a great big portrait mode, uh, pretty high res, uh, black, but black and white. And it was, and they were set up in portrait mode because they said, well, it's for an office and everybody looks at documents, you know, portrait. So the, the, the display should be portrait. 
And uh, somebody at Stanford had developed a mouse, and they're just down the street from Park. So they said the mouse would be a great input device, so they incorporated the mouse. So that's what I had when I got there at Xerox. That was what I used. I was actually working on a C compiler for the summer because C was the new hotness, and they, they wanted to use C in some of their internal development. So I was porting a C compiler, but I had the Alto as my kind of my workstation. And I said, this thing is the nuts. So I went back to... I went back to college. I was getting a master's degree. and I, I ported, you know, as much code as I could to computers I had there so I could at least, like, make my thesis on a reasonably uh, well-written editor. But, that, yeah, so we had all that tech going on um, way back when. And uh, and so you say, well, did I work on any of that? I, I didn't. I, I was in – I was working on uh, developing software, la- languages, compilers and stuff that were used uh, in the Xerox products that they were making. Because they, they in the 80s, they, they was the first time they put microchips into a Xerox computer, because bef- a Xerox printer. So before then, everything was analog. So, you know, analog controls. And so they were mm-hmm. digitizing it. But at the, at the time, there just wasn't any tools available to, like, even, you know, write real-time software or anything. So they everything had to be done in-house. So that, that was the kind of group I worked in. But... I do have one contribution to modern computers, right? And if nice. you look, if you look in your, um, like on either an Apple or a PC, and in your device menu, you know, there's a setting that controls what's called the mouse acceleration. Huh? And so it basically means if you move your hand slowly, the mouse, the tracking rate of the mouse is say X. But if you move your if you move your hand quickly, the tracking rate accelerates so that rapid movements move the mouse farther than slow movements. Right, it's like inertia. Yeah, you probably you probably just do it all the time. You don't notice it, but but it, and you look. There's a little thing you can turn that on and off, or adjust the the rate of excel, how, how the acceleration is affected. So when I came back to Xerox as a um, uh, Full time. That the next year, I I was issued the the newest hotness, which was they'd moved on from the Alto to a to a box called the Dorado was their internal name, which now had some for that day some pretty hefty compute power in it. And you know, the first thing I wanted to do was I wanted to make it do something, right? And in yeah. those days, you know, there was no you know to do anything. There was no like simple APIs or anything. And so you had you were issued a box of manuals that that covered. <laughs> Probably the whole, you know, 10 foot above my desk was on a shelf of all these principle of operation manuals that, that, you know, had all the APIs and everything, how this thing worked. I said, I just want to say hello world. But it was like so complex, you know, you just had to call, you know, and call. I just want to make it do something, right? I got this brand new toy they've given me. I want to make it do anything. So I said, all right. And I looked through and I discovered the one section had the mouse control where you would, uh, uh, you know, you could, you could read the current XY coordinate of the mouse and then you could also write the current XY coordinate. Um, so normally, you know, the driver's just reading it and writing it. And I said, oh, that's cool. And I said, I can do something. So I, I kind of played around with it and I reversed X and Y. So you'd move your mouse one way and it would, it would like do the exact opposite as if your screen was like turned sideways. So I, I felt good because I'd actually made it do something, you know, with like about 10 right. lines of code. And, you know, I'd achieved like, you know, some intimacy with my new toy, right? 
But then I'd worked with these guys. You know, I knew some of them from the summer before. And so I said, oh, great. You know, so I went around that night and installed this piece of software on all their computers. So the next day they come in and they're all like, I moved my mouse is moving exactly the opposite. Right. What is wrong? What's going on? And I could hear all these shouts around, you know, it's like a QB farm. Right. And I could hear all this, all this commotion. And then, you know, about 10 minutes, everybody's in my office. And they said, what did you do? I said, what do you, I, what are you blaming me? So you're the only one who would do something like this. And so I said, oh, crap. So then we were kind of joking about it, but then we got to talking about it. And we said, well, actually, what, you know, what could you do useful with this? And then, and then I said, well, wouldn't it be nice, you know, the mouse and stuff? And we said, hey, that's a great idea. So I wrote a little, you know, it's like a little library, like a gem, we'd call it, in Ruby, call it a gem. That that would that would give that behavior the mouse acceleration and then it, and Xerox had this was the cool thing this was back in 1982 we had so much of what we have today was already there like it, they weren't called the same things they were a little bit more clunkier to use but it was the same idea so I released what we would call a gem into like the the sort of the Xerox library of stuff and it became popular and became eventually became part of the operating system and eventually when Apple came in and said hey we love this idea can we use this technology and the guys at Park were so frustrated with nobody no, nobody in marketing was listening to them they said sure take it all have it so so my little idea is, is there in every computer today that's my claim to fame yeah go Mooch. <laughs> you're so, a hero go Katmandu let's say it right you know go Katmandu <laughs> <laughs> all day dude so that's a that's a long and uh, very apocryphal story but you know i think largely true and um, but i love I, it though but the important the thing to me that was amazing that in my life and, you know, you say, what am I excited about? Well, just one thing is excited is just like how this is all panned out, that those seeds were all there. And, uh, you know, and here we are, you know, many years later. And a lot of the ideas, the right ones have evolved to be the ones that are very dominant. And, you know, and, and we use these things today. That, that's why I'm so excited about the AR, the VR, the drones, the automation cars, like, all of this stuff because that is your mouse accelerometer, right? That is in 20 years, it's just going to yeah. be completely saturating the market and just a common thing for the, for that generation. Yeah. I have a little bet with myself that, that mm-hmm. the car I own, I have a 2014 uh, Jeep Cherokee. Oh, I have a Wrangler. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, very nice. And I, my bet with myself is that that's the last car I'm ever going to buy. That yep. By the time that car wears out, we'll have autonomous vehicles and it'll just be easier to own a club membership and the car will come to you um, when you need it and you get the car you need for the whatever you're doing. Um, and so I, I think it'll happen within five years by the time I need to give up that car. Yep. That's what I was talking about with my wife. We talk about this all the time. We have a six month old baby girl. Congratulations. Said, Congratulations. Thank you. I, I'm, ca- I'm counting giggles and watching her eat her feet every morning. So that's the way I get to start my day. So awesome. And I, I tell my wife, I said, I don't think we're going to have to buy her a car. That's not going to be a thing. We're going to, a decision we're going to have to make. I think the thing we're going to decide is what tier subscription of the, how nice the car is going to be. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think that's exactly right. And there'll be this sort of the public transport subscription, which eventually, yeah. you know, eventually cities will just say, just like some cities have internet, right? Some cities will just say, okay, everybody who lives here gets the base tier, right? Right. And uh, I, I bet you that, I hadn't thought of that until I just now. I bet you that'll happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us, Mitch. Like this has been, I, I love this conversation. I did too. It was, uh, I, we could do this all day long. You're in New York City? Uh, we're in Florida. In Florida? Well, yeah. I, don't, I don't get down there much. Otherwise, I would say next time I will go hang out and have a beer. But uh, well, what we'll do is I'll, I'll put where you are. Where are you located right now? Rochester, New York. Oh, come on. I've spent so much time there. I was, really? uh, hang out in Buffalo, eat at Charlie's, beef on whack, like uh, go to the, what are the hockey team there? Yeah, Amherst and Sabres, yeah. Yeah, go to Sabres games. Yeah, I've spent a lot of time there. Yeah, well, next time you're up, you look me up and 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 we'll hang out, all right? Yeah, I think later later this year we're going up through there and then up into uh, Canada to see some of our other friends. But my wife's flying up there uh, Saturday. We have family in West, like Westchester. It's not, it's not. It's actually not up there. Yeah, you're not flying up there. Sorry. I'm glad you she's, understood that. She's flying to Westchester, which is like an hour outside the city. That's right. not like upstate. No, I know where right. it is. Yeah, I've, I've flown yeah. in there many times. Yeah. So. Oh, you have? Okay. Yeah, IBM's there. They're really big there. Yeah. If people want to find out more about you, how would they do that? About me? Yeah, if they want to find out more about you. Well, they can. I don't know. They can. I. I Sorry, I'm not very good at this answer, this question. No worries. You, you, like they, I'm on LinkedIn, although I just sort go. of a reference page on there. Um, uh, you know, if you go to my GitHub, uh, my email's on there. Uh, Mitch, M-I-T-C-H, at catprint.com. You can drop me a line. Um, nice. If you search, if you search for Robert, my, my actual name is Robert, uh, Van Dyne, Robert Mitchell Van Dyne. But mm-hmm. but because of your brother, I always go by Mitch or, or Katmandu. But um, but if they want to search, they can search for Robert Van Dyne Illuminati, <laughs> and and you will find out there's a guy there's a there's a nut job out in Idaho that has for a long time had an article about how me my family my dad my grandfather's are one of the top thirteen families running the world. So you can find. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. <laughs> oh my god that's awesome <laughs> but, but but my handle on github is katmandu and uh um you know i'm i'm always hanging around in the uh, hyperloop uh gitter chat room and uh so i'd love to hear from anybody who wants to uh have any advice or uh wants to get come to rochester and be a cat coder <laughs> nice yeah i can't wait to check out the facility i'm gonna stop by i'm just gonna pop in one day and be like hey oh you <laughs> You should. It's from a from a Rails app standpoint. It people are blown away that comes in here because we. It's the production system is fully automated. So an order is placed somewhere on the web, comes in, gets queued up, scheduled. The production people just say, "Okay, here's the next job. You got to print. They click a button. Uh, it sends the job to the lays it all out. You know, does all the what's called imposition, lays it out, sends it to the press." Uh, it's picked up. There's barcode scanners uh, that kind of track its progress through the system. And it's all run by a big Rails app. What, Jake? We should go do a video of that. Oh, you should come on up. Awesome. Well, thank thank you so much. So the way it works is.
Thank you so much for listening to the Modern CTO Podcast. Share this. Get the word out. Thank you guys so much. I couldn't do it without you. I appreciate it. You guys are the absolute best.